You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. We believe it. You may be seated. Well, it was once said that it's the job of a pastor to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And that's exactly what we see the preacher doing in the book of Hebrews. In the first week, he comforts the afflicted. He points the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. And then last week, he afflicted the comfortable. He gave us this hard word on the dangers of drifting, on the dangers of becoming spiritually apathetic. I think back to that line that was most haunting to me where he says, how shall we escape if we neglect or if we ignore so great a salvation? So week one, the preacher says, I'm going to encourage you. Week two, he says, I'm going to give you a warning. Week three, which is what we're in right now, he's going to give us another word of encouragement. And I want you to look back with me at the text to see how he starts in verse 5. He says, it's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, but which, about which we are speaking. So the preacher says, hey, uh, good news, a new world is coming. A better life is coming. There's going to be a day where the heavens and the earth, where they fully overlap again, where everything will finally and fully be as it should be. And when that new world comes, when heaven comes, notice he says, it's not going to be subjected to the angels. Uh, they're not going to be the ones who rule over this world. But instead, verse 6, he says, there's a place where someone has testified. And the place he's speaking about is Psalm chapter 8. And now he's just going to quote from Psalm 8. Remember the the preacher is like a, a Old Testament gunslinger. Like every other verse is an Old Testament throwback. And here's what he says. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? For you made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor, and you put everything under their feet. And so what he's doing, he's pulling just a couple verses from Psalm 8, and he's assuming that he doesn't have to give you the context because you have Psalm 8 memorized, right? He's talking to an audience that knew the Old Testament like the back of their hands. Now, I'm guessing most of you uh, do not know the Old Testament like the back of your hands. So just to understand the context, in Psalm chapter 8, what's happening is the psalmist is looking up at the stars. He's just looking up at the stars. He's looking up at the moon. He's contemplating the universe. And he breaks out in the psalm and he says, Wow, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. So he just gets uh, kind of just uh, all swept up in the bigness of God. And as a result of that, he says, Wow. I am so small. Like, what is mankind that you, a big and glorious God, would be mindful of me? And I just want to side note right here. I want to say this. Like, some of you have a massive fear of man. You, you worry about the approval of others, and it is because, to you, people are big and God is small. And that needs to be flipped. Like, the psalmist realizes here, like, God is very big, 
and man, no matter who it is that you meet, is very small. He says, we are small, we are weak, we are puny, but then look at this. He, he all of a sudden realizes that though we are small, we're not insignificant. Like, though we are puny, like, we still have a purpose. Because he says in verse 7, in verse 8 right here, he says, You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them, talking about humans, with glory and honor, and you put everything under their feet. Now, what in the world is he talking about here? Well, this isn't unique to the psalmist. He's pulling from Genesis chapter 1. You can go read it on your own later in verse 26 through 28 where basically God gives humans what theologians call the cultural mandate. It is where God says that if you are created in his image, you are created to rule over his creation. In other words, God created this world, and then he gave it to you, and he gave it to me to care for it and to cultivate it and to nurture it, to take responsibility for his creation, to live in such a way that we seek the peace and the prosperity and the welfare of this planet, that we live in such a way that we actually help spread God's beauty wherever we go. And so if you've ever like, gone through life and been like, man, God, like, why am I here? Like, what is my purpose? Well, here's your purpose according to the Bible. It is to rule. It is to have dominion over creation. Like your job while you're here on this earth, the reason you have breath in your lungs is to take the resources God has given you and begin to move this planet, to move God's creation towards a desirable destination. And if you hear that, there's probably a part of you like, okay, Jerry, that sounds great, but that's not at all what I see happening in the world around me. I mean, clearly as humans, since Genesis chapter 3, we have not done a good job of ruling God's creation. I mean, you look around, read the, you know, the news, or I guess scroll through the news, and what you will see is the world in many ways seems like it's more jacked up than ever before. And because the preacher knows this is true, because the preacher in Hebrews knows that sometimes it does not look like as Christians we are on the right side of history. Because he knows there are times that, that we can still feel like we're losing because we live in a world of suffering and pain and loss. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, yes, God has put everything under them, under the humans. God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet, at the present, we do not see everything subject to them. And so he says, yes, God has put everything under your feet. He's given you dominion over all of creation. And yet so often when we look at our lives, that does not seem to be the case. Like, how many of you woke up today being like, ah, rule, right? Like, I am a royal ruler. Like, some of us like, couldn't even figure out how to work the coffee machine this morning, right? I mean, we, we, we couldn't, like, we stumbled or we, we fell. Like, I almost face-planted back here last night, didn't I, Ginger? Like, on some sort of, like, be careful, there's something sticking up out of the concrete up there. Didn't know it. Almost face-planted, right? Like, we, we look at the brokenness in the world. We look at the brokenness in our own lives. And in many ways, it seems like we are anything but ruling over creation. And it's so easy as a Christian, I think, to get discouraged. And because the preacher knows this is true, look at what he says next. Again, in verse 8, he says, In putting everything under them, God has left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But, verse 9, we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. What the preacher is saying here is, look, I know that you don't right now see what Psalm 8 is talking about, but you can see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels. He's talking about the incarnation where he left heaven 
a place where he was perfectly worshipped by the angels, and he came to this earth. And then notice he says, now he is crowned with glory and honor. And don't miss this. Look back in verse um, 9. He's crowned with glory and honor. Notice this. Not in spite of his suffering. He's crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering. Jesus gained his crown through the cross. Jesus, the writer wants you to see, rules and reigns not in spite of his death, but because of his death, a death that he tasted for everyone, for you and for me. And because this is true, the preacher says, uh, look, I know that when you suffer, it's easy to get discouraged. Like, like, I know when you live in a world of pain and loss, it's easy to get discouraged. I know when you look at the brokenness in the world and the brokenness inside of you, it's easy to want to tap out, to think that you're on the losing side of history. But if you will trust in Jesus, what you need to know is that, that Psalm 8 will not only be true of him, but Psalm 8 will be true for you. In other words, if you will hang on, if you will keep trusting this Jesus, there's coming a day where you will rule and reign with Jesus. All that belongs to him will belong to you. And so, yeah, you might feel like you're losing today, but look, Christian, over the horizon. Because what's coming over the horizon is strength. What's coming over the horizon is beauty and glory. And it has nothing to do with anything you have done, but it has everything to do with what Jesus has done for you. This is why he goes on to say in verse 10 that Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation. It's actually not the best translation of that word. The Greek word that's used here for pioneer is the Greek word akarios, which is better translated as Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the champion of our salvation. He is the one who came to this earth to defeat the biggest enemies that we could not ever defeat, Satan, sin, and hell. He says Jesus came to deliver you, to free you from the grip that these things had on you. And I was thinking this past week about the story of David and Goliath and how, you know, it's a very popular uh, uh, story. We often equate it with a children's story. Most of you probably know it. Even if you're not a Christian, you know the story of David and Goliath. One detail we often miss is on that day, two armies lined up against each other. The Israelite army was there and the Philistine army was there, but only two people fought. Why is that? Well, it's because Goliath, who represented the Philistine army, was taunting God's people. And he said, bring to me your best warrior. And if your warrior beats me, then all the Philistines will be given over to you. We'll be your slaves. But if, if I beat you, if I beat your warrior, then you have to be our slaves. And, and you know the story. Eventually, like, everyone is scared to death in Israel of this, of this massive giant, of this enemy, Goliath. But eventually comes David. And David is like Jesus. David is a shepherd. David is from Bethlehem. And he uses this most unlikely of weapon to defeat the giant Goliath. And what the Bible shows us in that moment is that when David won, his win became Israel's win. Like his victory became Israel's victory. And that is a foreshadow of what Jesus has done for you and me. The preacher says, Jesus is your hero. Like he is your uh, champion. He is the one who defeated our greatest enemies, our biggest enemies. And now when you trust in him... His freedom becomes your freedom. His win becomes your win. His victory becomes our victory. And because the preacher knows that some of you hearing that will say, yeah, 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 on to the next point, he's just going to spend the next eight verses unpacking that truth because he knows this is everything. And what he wants you to see and what he wants us to see through the power of the Spirit today is just how total and complete and encompassing the victory of Christ is for you. 
And what he wants us to see today is that if we will trust in Jesus, if we will look to Jesus, we can experience a complete and total victory in our past, our present, and our future. I want to say a short word on each. So first off, Jesus brings complete victory in our past. If you look with me again in verse 11, he says, Both the one who makes people holy, talking about us, and those who are both those who makes people holy and those who are made holy, talking about us, are of the same family. And don't miss this next verse. This is my favorite verse in this whole section. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. For he says, and he's just quoting Psalm 22 here, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. You know, there are times in my life, I've shared this before, but times where I feel like I need to present myself as better to you than what I really am. Does that make sense? Um, times where I feel like I need, um, in order for you to like me, I need to be more competent than I am, or I need to be more spiritual than I really am. Um, because if you could see me as I really am, you might not accept me, or you might not like me, or you might not, not approve of me. Um, I look back, and I've shared this so many times before, but when I was in middle school, right, and I was made fun of because I didn't have the name brand clothing. And you remember the story of the Tommy Hilfiger story, right, where it's like somebody saw the, the back of my t- uh, shirt, the tag of my shirt said Beltone instead of Tommy Hilfiger. It was a fake Tommy Hilfiger shirt. And I think as a result of that, there are still times in my life where I'm like, man, like if people could really see the tag in my life, like they wouldn't accept me. Like they wouldn't want to sit with me in the cafeteria, right? Like if they can really see the fact that I still have doubts, that I still have fears, if they could see that I still struggle with self-righteousness and, and ego and pride, if they could see there are times where I can be short with my wife and short with my kids, and there's no way they would really want to be my friend. There's no way they'd really want to be with me. My guess is today that I'm not alone. That there are others of you that still to this day, you wrestle with shame. There are times where you say things to yourself like, I am such a loser. Or I'm such a failure. Or I'm so ugly. Or I'm so fat. Or I'm unwanted. Or I am unlovable. And you need to know that if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, nothing could be further from the truth. According to the scriptures, Jesus sees your tag. He sees the good, he sees the bad, he sees the ugly, he sees all of the skeletons in your closet. And rather than demolishing you, he came to die for you. And he now offers you this free gift of salvation. And if you will receive this gift, what happens is he takes your clothes of shame and he replaces them with these robes of righteousness. The words from the preacher, he says in here in Hebrews, that he makes you holy. He makes you clean. He purifies you, and he perfects you in the eyes of God. I was reading in, in, in Corinthians this past week. I don't know if you've ever read First and Second Corinthians, but First Corinthians starts, and Paul, he starts his letter by talking to the Corinthian church, and he addresses them as those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified, past tense. And then in the second letter in Second Corinthians, he, he starts by saying, to all of God's holy people. That's crazy to me. Like, have you ever read the book of Corinthians? Like, the church in Corinthians was an absolute mess. Like, their lives were a wreck. Like, so much so that people were getting drunk off the communion wine. One dude was sleeping with his stepmom, and everybody else was like, that's cool. No issues with that. Like, yeah, just do your thing, man. People were abusing the, abusing the spiritual gifts. 
They were making the spiritual gifts more about them than about God. They were not loving each other well. And though the Apostle Paul knew about all of this, he's the one who points it out, he still starts his letter letter not by saying, hey, you bunch of sinners. Hey, you bunch of freaks. You morons. Right? He doesn't start by saying any of that. He starts by reminding them who they are in Christ. He says, you may not be acting like it, but you're holy. He says, you're sanctified. You are saints in the eyes of God. And listen, if you are in Christ, the same is true of you. You are a saint. Saints aren't like just the people who have their names inscripted on some like stone in the Colosseum. You are a saint, Christian. You are holy. You are perfect right now where you sit because of Christ in the eyes of God. I spoke with uh, someone in our church just a couple weeks ago. And I asked her, I said, "Um, what do you think God thinks about you? And she responded by saying, I'm afraid to know. I'm afraid to even know. And maybe that's where some of you are this morning. Because of something you have done or something you have not done, you think, man, I'm afraid to even know what God thinks of me. And, you know, according to this text, if you have trusted in Jesus, you can know what God thinks of you. And he is not ashamed of you. He is not embarrassed of you. He is not put off by you. He is not disgusted by you. And when this settles into your heart, when you realize, as it says in Zephaniah 3, that he rejoices over you with singing, when you realize that even on your worst days that God is not ashamed of you, you know what would happen? Then you won't be ashamed of you. You won't. Because of what Jesus has already done for you, you will know I am forgiven. Like I am redeemed. Because of what Jesus has done, do you realize what this text is saying? You have gone from being an enemy of God to being his beloved child. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can change that reality. And so Jesus brings a a total and complete victory to our past. But then secondly, and I'll move faster on these next two, he not only brings a complete and total victory to our past, but he also brings a complete and total victory to our future. If you look in verse 13, he quotes the prophet Isaiah He says, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am, and the children of God has has given me. Verse 14 says, the children have flesh and blood. He too, talking about Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. If you believe in God, you have to believe in the devil. Just want to make sure we, we, we keep that in mind. There is a real devil. And Jesus says he has come to kill, steal, and destroy. If you want to know what is the devil trying to do in this exact moment, he wants to kill, he wants to steal, he wants to destroy. That is what he is up to right now in your life at this moment. But that's the the bad news, but here's the good news. It says that Jesus came, and by his death, so that he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Then verse 15, look at this. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. You know, the truth is, every single person in this room, because we live in a sinful world, everyone in this room one day will draw their last breath here on earth. No matter who you are or where you come from, we are all going to die. And what we have to realize is death, as it has been said, is the great equalizer. Death does not care how rich you are. 
Death does not care how old you are. Death does not care how powerful you are, how spiritual or important or successful you are. One day death is going to come for you, and for the most part, it'll be completely random. You're not going to see it coming, but it's coming. And the good news is, thanks to Jesus, you can be freed from that fear of death. Because unlike any other God, Jesus stepped into our sin and our suffering, and he went to the cross where he died a death that you deserve to die, and I deserve to die for our sins, and then he rose from the dead three days later so that now, if we will trust in Jesus, just as he experienced a death, a burial, and a resurrection, if you will trust in Christ, you too can experience a death, a burial, and a resurrection. The truth is, if you are in Christ, death is not your executioner, death is your gardener. Death will not rob you of everything that you ultimately need. So I'm so afraid to die. I'm so afraid that I'll be separated from my kids or separated from my husband or separated from my riches or separated from my job. Like, like you will not in your death lose anything that you ultimately need to be happy. Death will only make you better if you are a Christian. Death is your gardener. It will release you to experiencing a flourishing and fulfilling life that you have been longing for. Death is something that... that Think about it like this. You do not have to live in fear as a slave to death, but if you're a Christian, death becomes your slave. Death isn't your master. You're now the master over death. Like, like what I mean by that is death can only do what you want death to do, which is to make you better. Like, like that's what Jesus has come to do. And, and so listen, like some of you, like you've had a really bad week. Maybe you've had a bad month. Maybe you've had a bad year. But you need to know that if you're in Christ, your future is incredibly bright. Your best days are ahead of you. In the words of the Apostle Paul, the suffering that you have experienced will not even be worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed. And so Jesus brings us complete and total victory to our past, to our future. But then here's what's really good news. He also brings a complete and total victory to the present. In this moment right here. In verse 16, if you look with me, and we'll end on these verses it says, for surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. I'm not going to talk about Abraham right now, so we'll talk about him a lot more in the weeks to come. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That's really heavy. There's a lot to that. We'll talk about it more in weeks to come. But notice this right here. Verse 18 is what I want to focus on for now. Because he, talking about Jesus, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who themselves are being tempted. So think about this, okay? Jesus came to free you from the penalty of sin so that you can now be a beloved child of God, past tense. He one day will free you from the presence of sin so that you can enjoy God forever, future tense. But right now in this moment, he will save you from the power of sin so that you can actually do the good works that God has prepared for you. Which means, no matter what your family history is, no matter what your biology is or your personality is, you do not have to live as a slave to sin. You don't. You don't have to live as a slave to your corrupt desires. Before Jesus, all we could do was sin. Do you realize that? Like even, your, even the good things you did, you did with a bad motive. Like all we could do before Christ is sin. All we could do is do pretty much what we wanted to do. Like we couldn't say no to the things we needed to say no to. But because of Jesus, listen, you can have freedom. 
You can have freedom to say no to sin. You can have freedom to say no to your corrupt desires that ultimately lead you into death, which means, please hear me today, you can change. Like you can. Which means if you're in addiction right now, there's hope. If your marriage is struggling, like there's hope. If you're wrestling with anxiety or self-righteousness or any other kind of sin, no matter how deep it is, like there is hope. You can change. You can change. You know, I was talking with someone in our church about a month ago. Uh, they were struggling with a pornography addiction. And I was sharing with them how before I met Jesus, I too had a pornography addiction. And when I met Christ, it's not like all of that went away, like overnight. And you need to know that, by the way. Like that would be called miraculous. Like when Jesus saves you, it's, it's a process of like he's, he's purifying you. Like, yes, you're purified positionally. You're sanctified positionally before God. But it just sometimes it takes, like growth is slow. So it's like he got rid of that overnight. But I can tell you now, like, like here I am, what am I, 19 years in to following Jesus? And I am completely freed from a pornography addiction. Like something I never thought I would be freed from, ever. And Jesus has freed me from that. And as a result, he's given me, man, confidence and my relationship with God, my relationship with my, my wife, like he's given me a peace. And, and look, I share all of that just to say this, like I, I haven't arrived. I still sin every day. Like I still struggle with lust on one level or another. But here's what I want you to, to, to realize today. Like Jesus, guys, he really can do what the scripture says he can do. And I'm just a, a testimony to that reality. Like Jesus has been tempted in every way that you have been tempted. And therefore, he not only can sympathize with you, but he can strengthen you to do whatever it is he's calling you to do. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says this, and I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come forward as I read this. Listen to this, this text. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says, There is no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. He'll provide an escape so that you can endure it. Think about that. Whatever temptation you're facing right now, here's good news, and we're almost done. Here's the good news. First off, know this. There's no temptation you're facing right now that's unique to you. Like sometimes we look and we say, my situation's so unique. Like nobody knows what I'm going through. God knows what you're going through. There's nothing that you're facing right now that another human has not faced before. There's no temptation you've got right now that's like, well, if people just knew my life. If they knew where I was at, they would understand. Like, like, there's nothing you're facing right now that is uncommon to man. That's good news. That makes us less lonely. But then not only that, he says, when you're tempted, God will provide the way for you to escape. I don't know what you're going through right now in your marriage. I don't know what you're going through right now in your personal life. I don't know what you're going through in your job. I don't know, like, what temptations you face, but you are not trapped. Like, there is a way of escape. With all that being said, man, like, Jesus, if you will trust in Jesus, he truly can give you the complete and total victory to your past, your present, and your future. Like, he truly is, what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, the complete and total Savior. 